What is up, queens and kings, humans and beings? It's your favorite person, Marcella Thomas, and thank you for coming back to the official relaunch of Real Topics, where we focus on topics surrounding emotions, well-being, societal norms, structures, systems, and other like-minded subjects. It feels so good to be back, y'all. Thank you all for just being patient with us as we worked out what we needed to in order to move forward with this podcast. Now, if you are new to this podcast, welcome and enjoy all that you hear, please. This is an open minded podcast and we want to remind you all that we are building a community and there's absolutely no community without you all. So stay tuned to our podcast, which will drop every Friday at 5 p.m. Central Standard Time. Now, a quick disclaimer. In these podcast episodes, you will hear a few ads. These ads are sponsored by Anchor, who pays podcasters for promoting their services, which in the end helps us all. Now, without sponsors, so many podcasts wouldn't exist. And in particular, I would like to thank anchor in advance for sponsoring real topics this will be one of the main reasons we will be able to fund contests for you all so stay tuned for all the many different opportunities in regards to contests that you all can be a part of now again we thank you we value you we appreciate you and now to the episode what is up queens and kings it's your girl marcella thomas and thank you for tuning into real topics a podcast where we like to do nothing less but keep it real and dive deep now if this isn't your first rodeo then you know the drill but if you are new to the podcast and you don't know anything about what this podcast is or has in store for you this podcast exists to bring you the real about the world people and specific conversations surrounding us Every week, we are taking a deep dive into thought-provoking and mind-stimulating conversations, and we're building a community, and we definitely want you to know that there's no community without you all. So thank you for being here with us. Now, in today's podcast, we are going to dive deep into the topic, affordable housing and immigration. And I have a very, very, very special guest joining me. This is his first podcast. He is from Hershey, Pennsylvania, and now resides in Arizona as the law office coordinator at a pro bono legal group named Keep Tucson Together, um, also known as KTT. Um, He works with deportation, defense work, and a range of other things. Um, He is a wonderful person and has a wonderful wife and a little son, and yeah, everyone Give a warm welcome to Philip Stump Kennedy. Hi, everybody. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's good to be here. Thanks, Marcella. Thank you. Thank you so much. So before I even get started into today's podcast, I normally do this thing in the Real Topics family where we we just take the time out to give gratitude to, to our guests. And I definitely have been knowing you for a short period of time, but um, the energy is always warm and welcoming. And I just want to say thank you for being who you are and just being so informative as well, because you know a lot about immigration law and things going on specifically down here in Tucson. And um, it's never been a dull moment or dull day. So thank you. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, I guess, I don't know if folks know, but uh, Marcella is interning with KTT for a couple months, and I'm really grateful to have you, and you've been a huge help, and obviously quick to learn, and very willing to do whatever needs doing, so yeah. I, I'm glad that it's, so far, been a good experience. Yeah, definitely, and so guys, we're just gonna start off the conversation, so like, let's start with talking about... um just when you hear the words affordable housing, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? Yeah, so I don't think I knew much about affordable housing before I moved uh, to Washington, D.C. in 2013 uh, and pretty quickly got a job as a tenant organizer with an organization called the Latino Economic Development Center, LEDC. 
And before that, I didn't really, you know, um, I, I lived on my own a little bit when I was in college, but uh, I lived in, in Greensboro, North Carolina, which is actually a pretty affordable city. And I had some other college friends that lived with me. And, you know, I, I never really thought about housing not being affordable. Um, and in DC, it's a very different picture. Housing costs are very expensive. A lot of people want to live in DC. There's a good reason for that. It's a wonderful city. Um, and so, you know, what I what I came to learn and what I what I loved about the job that I had, what I loved about that work, is that um, you know, affordable really how, affordable housing really means community and it means uh, anti displacement. Uh, you know, people talk about gentrification a lot. And that can be a helpful word, I guess. But uh, I think when, when people worry about gentrification, uh, what they're really worried about is displacement. Mm. And they're really worried about communities being broken up. And they're really worried about, um, you know, lack of equity. Because as uh, with gentrification, you know, when people talk to gentr about gentrification, don't they, they, you might hear like, oh, isn't that a good thing? Because you get new services, you get new parks, you get new stores. That, and those are good things. People want, you know, bike lanes. People want you know better schools like all oh, that stuff is good uh but then when that happens and when that happens in certain places uh the people who benefit from that are often not the people who have lived there and so it's a question of equity and uh, and again we go back to displacement um so that's what i what's what i think a lot about and i also think about just like uh, you know affordable housing being um kind of a core just a just a basic human need and um, there's a big movement in the United States towards a model called Housing First. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really positive development. I hope we keep going in that direction because what policymakers are recognizing, which is what people, real, real human beings have known for a long time, which is that, um, if, you know, people who are experiencing homelessness and really everybody, if you have problems in your life and you're having trouble keeping down a job or dealing with substance abuse or you know dealing with tough family relationships things like that the number one thing you need is housing and then everything else can follow after that yeah um and so you know i think recognizing housing as a basic human right uh if we can do that we can provide folks housing we can make sure that housing is affordable then i think it just relieves a huge stress on all of us mm -hmm. um lets us focus on the things that are important um, let's just actually, you know, develop, get ahead, uh, and both like, you know, pursue career goals and, and, and learn and do all the other, th those, those things that are important, but like also just, you know, live our lives in a more holistic way if we're not worrying about housing. So yeah. I think yeah. it's important. Yeah, it's, I definitely agree. It's very important and, and it's a basic human right, like you said. Um, and in that same light, what, it, what comes to mind when you hear the term immigration? Um, I, you know, I think it, I, I, I think that, um, what I want to come to mind is welcoming. And I think that, you know, from a young age, I was kind of instilled with this value that, um, you know, our approach to, to, to immigrants, to people who are not from our community, who have who moved into our community should be welcoming because... You know, if we were in a strange place, we would want to be, you know, shown around and introduced to things and things like that. And so I think that that is important both on like a micro level with within our communities and people that we may know or work with, but also as a nation that um, my goal always is that our immigration policy should be more welcoming. Um, because, yeah, Im immigrants and immigration uh both add so much to our country, the folks who have been born and grown up in the place that we call the United States. Mm -hmm. But I also, I think like going back to this question of basic human rights, I think that uh, people have a basic human right to be safe, to be with their families, to be with the ones that they love, to pursue work in, in you know, in ways that are fulfilling. Uh, and so often those are the reasons behind people deciding to to migrate from one country to another um yeah. so like overall like what would you say has been like your inspiration to get involved in in both areas the affordable housing and immigration i'm not sure if i if you answered this but 
Um, well, so for, for affordable housing, like I said, I really didn't have an idea that housing was a problem until I, I moved to DC and honestly was looking for a job. <laughs> and I, I wanted to work with immigrant communities and I, and I liked organizing. I liked working with people. Um, and affordable housing is such an issue in DC and there are a lot of organizations that are working around that issue. I was lucky enough to find a job there. So that, that was really my education. Mm-hmm. It was on the job education and I kind of had to, to grow in a lot of ways doing that. Um, and yeah, and I, was, I was in DC, I think, when the housing first model started taking effect. And that wasn't work that I was directly doing. I was working more on affordable housing preservation. So mm-hmm. folks that had affordable housing that were worried about losing it, mm-hmm. uh, that, those were, that's the, the work I was doing. And Housing First is more, um, you know, finding folks who are, do not have housing and helping them have housing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but, you know, I kind of parallel to the kind of that was really informed my thought process on how we should think about housing, how, how I should, how I should think about housing. Mm-hmm. Immigration. Yeah. I talked a little bit about it. My, um, my mom grew up uh, living in a bunch of countries because her dad, my grandfather, was the United States State Department. And he was a foreign service officer. And I think it was every two years that they had to move. Oh, wow. And so she, what she really picked up on from that experience and, and brought to our family was, you know, every two years she would move and she would have to go to a new community and Generally, because she was, you know, living in a, a, a fairly exclusive, like, diplomatic community. There was this, you know, kind of a different vibe. But people were welcoming. That's, that's one thing that, in general, that she said she experienced. And moving to new places, like, they were, the family was always very welcome. And so when we were um, living in Hershey, Pennsylvania, um, just because of who she is and because of that, that mindset that she had... Uh, she made a point of reaching out to new families that were moving into Hershey. Mm. And Hershey's immigrant community uh, is mostly through the medical school. There's a big there's a big medical center that is also part of the university. Uh, and so there are a lot of like uh, medical students, doctoral students mm-hmm. who um, who come from over from outside the United States and just moved to the United States and are building communities and don't have connections and don't have furniture and so my mom often would find out about these families that had just moved in and uh would you know connect them to other immigrant families and uh you know um you know one thing that we always looked forward to were the the end of the end of ramadan celebrations we got invited to those and we got some great food so you know that growing up in that environment for me was was pretty impactful um I don't think that I had an understanding growing up of uh, immigration as a, a, a kind of a more basic means of survival. Like the, the immigrants that we knew were fairly privileged. Like I said, they were medical students and um, you know had papers and stuff like that. So when I was in college, and uh, one another, I guess another thing that was important that my mom kind of imposed on me and. It was my own desire as well, was that, that I had learned Spanish. So when we had a choice of languages to learn in, in school, she was like, you got to learn Spanish because Spanish is going to be useful. Mm-hmm. French and German were the other options. She's like, why would you learn those languages? <laughs> oh, gosh. People don't. Yeah. Not, not, well, I, I get it, yeah. yeah, not that they're like bad languages or anything, but like if, if you live in the United States, what language is going to be most useful to you? Spanish. This is the... the the, that's, those are the communities that we get, Spanish-speaking communities of ones in the United States and, and our neighbors. And yeah. so do it. Um, and so, you know, I did that and I studied Spanish and I studied Spanish in college. I studied abroad and everything. And um, that kind of got me, inter- and I, I double majored in Spanish and Peace and Conflict Studies. And that kind of got me interested in immigration as a topic and I was looking for like a thesis topic I I decided I wanted to do an undergrad thesis and I ended up um coming on alternative spring break trip to to the Tucson area borderlands through no more deaths um 
and ended up uh, just kind of, yeah, it was a big learning experience for me about uh, the way that borders militarized, the way that migration is, the way that in all of the ways in which our policies are not welcoming to migrants and to immigration, um, and uh, how much I thought that that conflicted with my basic sense of what was just and right, um, and and you know from a from a religious point of view too, I just felt like that was you know, I uh, kind of developed my my religious sentiments over my college years as well and and just thought that you know Christianity that I was raised in says so much about how we as human beings are to treat each other and uh, that the U.S. immigration policies are pretty directly in conflict to pretty you know there, there are some things where you can say that um, there are different takes on, on religious texts or on what we are what's the right thing to do is I don't, I don't think immigration is that I think that <laughs> if you're a Christian, if you if you if you believe that the Bible is important, if you believe that the Bible is, says something important, what the Bible says about immigration is very very clear. Yeah. The way that we're to teach to treat immigrants is welcoming and to you know provide things. And, um, so all of that really kind of impacted me in that sense of like that dissonance of where we should be and where we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and. So that that was like my college, and right after college, I spent two years on the on the border, um, working on immigration related issues, and then and then I went to D.C. and I was like, oh, I want to work with immigrant communities, but it wasn't directly on immigration issues; it was on you know immigrants and housing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, when my wife wanted to go to law school, um, and she wanted to come to to the University of Arizona in Tucson, I ended up. Um, after you know, after a year or so of not working directly on immigration issues in Tucson, uh, we, I volunteered with Keep Tucson together mm-hmm. at first, and then they hired me. Uh, they needed somebody to like do the office stuff, so I got here. I am, <laughs> um, and I think that it's been it's been a really rewarding time in my life to you know. Um, had ideas and I've you know done some research and know a little bit I have known a little bit about like how unjust our immigration system is Mm -hmm. but in this position I would say that I get to really see it up close yeah the deportation machinery and like not just in theory oh yeah it sounds bad but just like seeing it in action and seeing it kind of attack specific people Mm -hmm. um has been pretty it's been pretty um is influential, I guess I would say. Okay, I have a a scenario. So, hypothetically, I'm a friend of an immigrant individual um, who has just entered the U.S. Mm -hmm. Um, What message would you have about my, uh, or about the next steps for my friend? Um, Well, I think it depends... I guess the f- the first thing that I would say is have have your friend talk to an immigration lawyer uh, because our immigration laws are really bad and there may not be an option for them, but there might be. And it's worth knowing that. And uh, a lot of immigration lawyers might charge, you know, 50 bucks or 100 bucks for a consult. That's a lot of money. Uh, but I think it's worth it for... for almost everybody because there are some things that you might have to do soon after entering the United States or you might lose your rights um, or or if there's nothing you can do I think it's worth knowing that and so you know you know what um, safety measures you might need to take and just to kind of know where you stand I think is, is helpful and I think a lot of people out of fear don't do that um, and what I would say is Immigration attorneys are on your side. That's their job. Um, you know, there are good ones and bad ones, but they're not going to report you to ICE. They're not going to get in trouble for asking questions. It can only help you. Uh, so do that. Yeah. That would be the first thing I would say. Okay, 
Thank you, thank you, thank you. And so we're going to jump a little bit to affordable housing. Um, there was a statement that President Biden made. He said, housing is a right in America. Um, what is your take on that statement? And how do you think uh, that this right is going to play out during Biden's pre- presidency? I mean, that's a, that's a good, I'm glad that he said that. Um, I think that that is an aspirational uh, quote, I do not think it is in practice or right right now. If you don't have housing, there's nobody that you can go to and say, I have a right to housing. Give me a house. You know, that's just not, unfortunately, how it works mm-hmm. yet. Um, I think that to to actually implement that vision, uh, a couple things need to happen. I think that probably the first thing that is you know, politically the easiest, and I'm not going to say politically easy, but politically the easiest would be, you know, the housing first that I talked about before um, is relatively cheap. Mm-hmm. It is a program that, you know, you find people who don't have housing and you give them housing. It, it's very simple. It's very straightforward. No strings attached. Here's housing. And the cities and uh, states in, that have implemented it and one of the things that they have done is calculated that actually people who are living on the streets like have other needs that we end up paying for. They have to go to the hospital more, um, things like that. And we end up paying to put them in prison. And why would you pay to put somebody in prison? You could just put them in a house. Yeah. So I, I think that a very um, should be uncontroversial step would be to just put a lot more funding in those programs. I think that every every jurisdiction in the United States should be um, really, really, really forced to implement the housing first policies. I don't think that I think that we should make sure you know nobody's homeless in the United States. Um, and I think you could do that and do a good job of that and still definitely not solve the problem because you'll still have people who are living in unstable situations or people who are paying more for rent than they can really afford because um, you don't want to end up on the streets so that you can, you know, maybe get into a program. Uh, so I think, and, and then there's, you know, displacement issues. People can afford housing, but not where they would like to live. So I think that there are other s- s- um, solutions that have to be part of the picture. Uh, I think we really need to increase our funding for public housing in the United States. Mm-hmm. Public housing has been pretty dismantled over the years. Uh, you know, the the federal government has really preferred other programs other than public housing. And I don't think that there's a one single solution that is the solution, but I think public housing has to be part of it. Uh, A lot of public housing is, is, needs a lot of maintenance. Um, The initial goal of public housing was that it would be a lot of cross subsidy and that um, people who earned more money would pay more in rent and the people who earned less would pay less in rent and they would kind of help pay for each other and that hasn't really ended up happening um and so i think if we want i I think that's a fine goal but if we're going to do that we need to build a lot more public housing so that more people can live in it and cross subsidize each other uh and then there are other you know there are other programs there's a section 8 program uh but unfortunately right now if you want to build public housing or not public housing rather but if you want to build new housing that you want to be affordable that you want to be subsidized um, the main federal program is something called Low Income Housing Tax Credits, or LIHTC. And it's a really dumb program. It's very convoluted. Um, I mean, I guess I shouldn't say it's dumb. It does help some people, you know. Mm-hmm. That's good. Some people yeah. benefit from it. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. But it really targets kind of more middle income. Mm-hmm. And it's very convoluted to, to build, to qualify for. Um, and so I just don't think that that's, you know, the simplest way to go. And then finally, um, something that I'm not as much of an expert on, but I, I do think is important, is uh, zoning. Uh, in so many of our cities, there are, you know, people call it exclusionary zoning. There are, there are huge neighborhoods that are um, zoned in a way that on- you can only build single-family homes. You can't build apartments. You can't build large buildings. And so it ends up being restrictive to the rich white people who already live there and prevents other people from moving into those places where there is opportunity, where there are resources, where there are parks, where there are schools, whatever the, you know, things. 
why does anybody want to live anyplace? Because, because well, you know, all of those reasons. Right. A lot of them are tied to geography. A lot of the geography gets closed off to incomers, to newcomers. And zoning is often the tool that does that. Interesting. And so I think that, like, zoning changes to be less exclusionary, to allow people to build more density, mm-hmm. you know, in a lot of ways will help make housing more affordable because it's kind of a basic supply and demand thing. Um, but I don't think that that alone will provide all of the housing that we need. And I, so I still think that we need public housing and we need other programs yeah. as part of that. Yeah. And you said um, that pu- public housing and other programs need funding. Now, we often talk about how, like, we don't have any money to to provide to these these um, programs. What what is your take on that? Do you do you feel like that's the truth? Do you feel like no? We, I don't think I don't think that's accurate. I think that that's a that is a um, a, a conservative talking point be, that is designed to limit our imagination of what we can do. And I think that for a couple reasons. One is because. It is in response to, you know, conservative tax cuts that lower the amount of money we have. And then they say, oh, we can't do anything. Um, And I also think it just misrepresents how budgets work. Um, If you are a country, you print your own money. So you're not like a household. You know, a household has a budget. You can't, you earn a certain amount, you have to spend a certain amount. A country doesn't have a budget that works in the same way. And people would... and. That's not to say that we can spend an unlimited amount and, you know, economists who are smart have different ideas about how much money you can spend. Uh, But especially at a time right now when we're in an economic um, crisis, you know, because of of COVID, but it is an economic crisis, it's worth spending a lot of money to build things that are good for people uh, and also helps to start the economy up. And not taking an opportunity like this is is pretty... um, harmful to us in the long run I think so yeah I agree I agree I agree um I'm going to go towards an article by the New York Times and the article is if housing is right how do we make it happen and it said that somewhere between 10 and 40 million people will be at risk of eviction in the coming months now this is very mind-blowing to me what are what are your thoughts about this um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of people. That's pr- uh, pretty horrifying. Um, I think, I think that COVID has ca- caused a, a unique crisis that is, you know, demands a specific response. And I think that it's absolutely appropriate that like, yeah, we just need to spend a lot of money to pay, to pay people's bills so they don't get evicted. Yeah. Like that people are out of work because of, because of, something that wasn't their fault and it's it's this huge thing that's impacting the entire nation so absolutely we need it it's a a unique issue we need a unique response but in some ways i think it's also just an underlying uh it it just shows the underlying issue um and that like fixing this you know responding in this one instance to this one huge problem is good it's appropriate but it doesn't solve any of the underlying crisis which is that so many people are living paycheck to paycheck and evictions are just way too common um and i don't know we talked about before like there are a bunch of tools that you could use you know public housing is good because public house your the rent that you owe in public housing depends on your income if you lose income you don't have to pay as much rent that's good uh i wish that were a solution for more people um there are also there are also programs that could be better funded like um in D.C., they called it ERAP, the Emergency Rental Assistance Program. Mm-hmm. And so if you lose your job uh, and you can't make your next month's rent or a couple months' rent, you can apply for emergency funding mm-hmm. uh, to tide you over. Uh, that's good. It's still, you know, a lot of instability. You know, it's a lot of bureaucracy you might have to work through. You might not know about it on short notice. Um, so the more, I think... You know, things like Section 8 and public housing provide more stability to folks than uh, an ERAP program. But there are lots of solutions out there. There are lots of things that could help. Uh, and kind of 
at this point, I think we're, you know, a lot of, a lot of families are in such a dire position that, um, I think anything that we could do would be better, yeah. you know? So I think that there are a lot of people kind of theorizing about what's the best way to organize our housing and, and, and people have different ideas. But I think at this point that, you know, it's just so bad that anything will be better and we need to try yeah. lots of things. Yeah, I agree. And and even just thinking about the fact that things like public housing and Section 8 housing exist, like, <laughs> we could be much worse. And, like, I, right. I don't... I don't even have like the thought process of what the world would look look like without things like that in place. So that is that's interesting. I have a question for the listeners to ponder on. And you can leave your response in the reviews below this episode or you can send us a DM on social media at the Real Topics Podcast. The question the two questions are what steps do you think should be taken? in order for affordable housing supply to meet the demand. And also, what is your stance on immigration reform? Leave us a review below or DM us your response at Real Topics at The Real Topics Podcast. So back to immigration. So people are coming to America for many different reasons. In your experience, why do you feel why do you feel that people are fleeing their birth countries? What what are people risking if they were to stay in places like Mexico, Guatemala, Venezuela, etc.? Um, you know, people who are smarter than me had have done a lot of analysis that a lot of the root causes of things that are happening in a bunch of countries are related to climate change. Mm. Uh, and and you know. Like in, in, in Central America, in the Northern Triangle, uh, El Salvador, Honduras, uh, Guatemala, there's a lot of gang violence. And a lot of people, like a lot of KTT clients are, have come because um, gangs have taken over their town, they're trying to recruit people, they're, you know, extorting people, um, you know, just doing really violent bad things. But that... I've seen some analysis that seems to make sense to me that like a lot of the root cause of that is that um, farming has been impacted by climate change, that other industries have been impacted by climate change. And so that's like part of what has led to the destabilization of a lot of a lot of countries. Um, and obviously it's climate change has affected the United States as well, but we are a, a richer country that's more able to respond and adapt. So I think that that, you know, all kinds of different things. Like obviously, uh, Cuba and Venezuela have unique political situations. That and Nicaragua and um, yeah, you know there are a lot of people who are like fleeing political violence. Yeah. Um, and there are people who are, you know, ha- have family here that they have been separated for from a long time, and so they want to join family. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're like there are a lot of there are a lot of individual reasons, um, but a lot of it can be traced to climate change. Um, but so I used to do when I was on the border we would do this exercise that I think was really helpful and uh, it's better if you do it in a large group Um, but we would kind of stand in an an open area and uh, we'd say okay you know we're all a group of people we've all come on you know it's like a a school trip we're all here on the border doing this this trip Mm -hmm. where was everybody a week ago and then people will go back to like wherever their school was. Maybe some people came from other places, but okay, great. Uh, why'd you come here? Oh, we wanted to learn. Okay, so then where were you born? And people will go back to where and they, they have an imaginary map and people go different places. Right. And, uh, well, why'd you move from where you were born to where you were going to school? Well, because education, because jobs, because whatever. Okay, well, go back a generation, and then two generations. Like, where was your grandparent born? Where was your great-grandparent born? Do you know? You go different places. And people are like, oh, well, why, you know, why'd they come? They're fleeing violence. There was a war. Mm-hmm. Potato famine in Ireland. Um, a lot of people that I... I, I remember one group where there was a lot of, um, like, black people in D.C. who said that their family had... Co- had it was like their grandparents or their parents had moved to Atlanta. Like, why did they move to Atlanta? 
violence, racial violence. Mm -hmm. And Atlanta was a safe place. Um, and so like the reasons that you might talk to any group of people and ask like, why did your parents move? Why did your grandparents move? Why did you move? Mm -hmm. Education, safety, to be with my family. That's why everybody moves, yeah. you know? Um, and I think that we sometimes draw this, this line that like, oh, immigration crossing a border is like such a different phenomenon. And it's not, mm -hmm. you know, we think nothing of people moving to go to college, to go because they fell in love and they moved someplace, you know, yeah. that we don't think anything of that. And uh, but when, when you're crossing a border to do it, all of a sudden it's like, a, it's a phenomenon. Yeah. You know? You just committed an abomination in right. God's eyes. Like, right. why would you think to do this? Why would you think this is okay? When I've heard many people say that migration is just a part of life. I mean, when we think about it, just simply here in the United States, we like to move around different states as well. It's like the same thing. We're just like, some of us are choosing to stay within the United States. Some of us do actually go to other countries and even like um obtain like citizenship in other countries too so that's migration i definitely definitely believe it's a part of life like we just like you said have this like this taboo when it comes to the u.s borders um so what would be the message to anyone who might be going through a difficult time in regards to not only having migrated here but making a living and paying their their rent and bills oh gosh um i don't know but it's you know it's a tough it is a tough time it's a tough this this pandemic has i think worn on all of us in ways that we will not really know for a long time mm -hmm. um obviously there are the concrete things that people lost jobs people have lost family members um, but just, I think that the ways that our lives have changed have, I think it's kind of like a mass trauma event. Um, and so for somebody who's, you know, recently come to the United States, I can only imagine that's even more unsettling to be not to be living through this pandemic that we're all living through, but also to be you know, separated from your community and your culture. Um... So, yeah, I don't know. I, that, that's a tough question that I, I don't know wholly how to answer. Um, but I would say, um, I guess one thing I would say is, you know, look for, look for the resources. There are resources. There are, there are communities that want to welcome you. Um, there are organizations that want to support you. Um, you know, don't believe just the rhetoric that you hear on TV and, and uh, even if you, you know, experience racism or, or, or hatred even in person, know that there are other communities out there that really uh, want to welcome you. So I hope you can find them. Yes, indeed. Thank you. Thank you for that message. And um, so I've embraced like the person that I am and I, I like to think of myself as just morally responsible and conscious to stand up for um things that are just humane <laughs> um things that are are right by my own moral standards and um especially regarding like racism and how it what it is and what it looks like in the world and do you think that there is this this one and done solution to racism why or why not no i don't think so i mean i i um you know growing up in a as i'm a white person and growing up in a majority white area i think we were definitely taught that like oh yeah we've done that you know we fixed that we yeah. we fixed racism we had the voting rights act you know slavery's over and we did the voting rights act and we're good now and like that's obviously not true and i think more and more people are realizing that i hope so um and i think that you know something that has taken a while for me to like kind of really understand is that 
I don't think that there are too many issues that we have as a country, as a culture, that are one and done issues. I think that so many of the things that require our political attention and like our work, you know, racism, housing, immigration, and these things are all connected, of course, too, require just ongoing effort. Um, and and it's certainly not a question of like oh electing democrats and then you're good mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. that's not the case yeah. um, you need to you need to vote and then you need to push people and there's stuff that you need to do that's outside of electoral politics um, you know I think a lot of racism the way that it, I think a lot of the way that we need to respond to racism is structural change that means that means political change, that means, like, yes, different specific policies. Um, and then there are other things, too, that we need to do that are outside of electoral policies, like how can we make our workplace, you know, better and more welcoming. Um, and so, yeah, I don't think any of those areas are one and done. Interesting, interesting. And um, so I am just intrigued at the fact that... Um, we speak English mm-hmm. in America, and uh, recently I've been brought to the attention that um, when refugees come to America, they are required to enroll in an ESL um, class. And so in that sense, since, I mean, I do understand that we are an English-speaking nation, yet I feel like education is important. Um, so my question for you is in vice versa should we be required to learn other languages as well and even more specifically spanish i think we should absolutely be learned be required to learn other languages um besides english um you know i think that english is obviously an important tool i hope that people have access to resources to learn english but i also would hope that we would as a society welcome and embrace and um, understand the importance of other languages because language is such an integral part of culture and cultures are valuable and um and so yeah i would hope that we would you know we would do a both and you know english is important other languages are important and i think that folks born in the united states who might not have you know immediate relatives that speak other languages we should absolutely um be encouraged and, and in every way possible take the opportunities to learn other languages and I think Spanish is obviously super important um, but I don't think that it's the only language and you know particularly if you have a family connection to another language you know that's that's that should be held up um, I uh, part of what ha- what has influenced me in this regard is that I I grew up not speaking any other language other than English and my mom is fluent in Swedish oh wow <laughs> she speaks fluent Swedish my, my grandmother is from Sweden. Well, she's she's dead now, but she died, she was she was born in Sweden, Whoa. and my mom never taught me. Um, like I, I know a few words. Do you know why? I, you know, I think it was part of kind of a uh, some of it was like personal. Like she just didn't have a great relationship with her mother, and so she didn't teach me Swedish because she thought of her mother when she was speaking Swedish. But part of it also was just I think a misunderstanding that she had read some literature that like growing up bilingual like delays language acquisition Hmm. and it it does a bit like there's a there's a phase where it's you know a young child is learning language and if they're learning two languages at once it like can seem like they're learning slower but the catch-up is very fast Mm -hmm. and uh, i think there are benefits to growing up bilingual so i don't yeah i i I think some of it was was just that misunderstanding, and I wish that that had been different. But it's okay. I learned sweet. I learned Spanish instead. And, yeah. Uh, like I do have a family connection to Swedish, but like also not that many people speak Swedish, yeah. and the people that do all speak English. Mm. So <laughs> I think Spanish was uh, just as good to learn. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think that that's that's really important. And so, Laura and I, my wife and I, are tr- uh, trying to bring up our baby Oscar learning Spanish and English. Yeah, we'll so see cool. how it goes. Yeah. Neither of us are native Spanish speakers, yeah. so it's a little bit awkward. Yeah. But 
We're trying to make sure that he has exposure to other people who are hard during the pandemic. Yeah, I think it's important. Help with this more common. Yeah. And so the uh, language in my family was French. Mm. My great grandmother was fluent in French and she didn't pass it down to my grandmother. But that reason, at least this is the story I've been told, um, is because when the adults would speak, they wouldn't want the children to be in the in their business. So, but I, and and then I'm thinking about it now, and I'm like, if that's the only reason, like that is really selfish. Like yeah. you know, continue like just the heritage, the legacy. Yeah. Like if if you know something, share it. Was your great grandmother an immigrant? Um, not that I. No, not. Did she learn just learn French in the U.S. I no, not well. The story is that. My great-grandmother is um, Native American, Um, full (laughs) of stories that her hair was, like, all the way down to her feet. And it it definitely shows in, like, my grandmother as well. But then her kids start having kids, and we're like, you have what in your blood? (laughs) Like, uh, we don't see any remnants, whatever, you know, that saying looks like. But, um... Yeah, that's all I know. I don't I don't really know oh. much outside of that. <laughs> yeah. So I have a few true or false questions for okay. you. And you can just, if you feel free to explain why or why not to your um, answers, that's perfect. Um, so true or false? Borders should be closed. False. Why? Borders should be open. I don't, I don't, you know, border between... Uh, Arizona and New Mexico is open. It's great. Border between Arizona and Sonora should also be open. Yeah. Yeah. True or false? Families belong together and free. Oh, of course. True. Yeah. No no further explanation needed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's basic human rights, guys. But basic, basic rights. <laughs> um, people never experience unsafe living conditions. Oh, it's obviously false. You know? it's all, so many people do. Yeah. So many people do, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Um, we should end homelessness. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Seems relatively easy, too. I mean, I think there are a lot of affordable housing problems that are hard, but I think ending homelessness is really a question of political will and of, and of money, and not that much money. Mm. Just do it. Mm. It's bad. Yeah. Stop doing bad things. Yeah, yeah. Housing is for all. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it goes along with the previous one. Yeah, yeah. So I want to also hear from all of the listeners as well. So if you would, you know, just leave us a review or send us a DM on Instagram, that it would be great to hear from you all. So in in closing, I normally like to ask my guests to ponder on um, the fact that one day you will take your last breath and your life will come to an end, right? Right? And what is the message that you would want to leave with your loved ones in the world? I feel like this has changed so much now that, um, you know, I'm married and even more so now that we have a baby. Um, You know, I just... I think I want whatever, you know, what every parent wants. I want uh, Oscar to feel loved, to know that he's supported, to know that he has my full unconditional support. And um, I would hope that by the time I'm taking that last breath that I've been able to, you know, show him and be there, show him that, that love and that support. Um, and if not, I would still want, you know, I would, that's that's what I would want him to know. Mm-hmm. Um, and Laura too, and my, you know, my brothers and my parents and, uh, all of that, obviously, but you know, b- being a parent, I think, has, has just really made me think, you know, more concretely in in how I would want, you know, him to feel loved and supported. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, thank you so much for that. And um, guys, that's it for today's podcast. Um, I just want to thank you so much again for being a, a great and informative guests and just phenomenal guests all around um so and 
do you have of course um do you have any tips or um advice for everyone listening about affordable housing and immigration overall um make your voice heard uh i think one thing uh it sometimes can feel hard to do but affordable house for housing stuff unfortunately a lot of decisions are made on a very local level uh and i think that's bad because people don't want affordable housing in their backyard uh, but i think it can also be helpful because if you know ways that you know if you if you if you're tuned into your cities um get on their email list and you'll get an email when there's a a, a town hall hearing about a new housing project and it doesn't take too much time to go and make your voice heard and say hey i do actually want more affordable housing in my backyard i do want uh my neighbors to have homes and uh, it makes a big difference because you know the people who are motivated to go to those things are the people who don't want the stuff and generally people who are like oh yeah that's fine they don't say anything so go say something thank you so much and um do you or ktt have do you all have any upcoming projects uh follow our facebook we're trying to get the message out as we put out uh as as immigration law changes are hopefully coming uh so follow our facebook page and we're putting videos out every week and um like i said keep keep pushing those pushing those policies Okay. What is the Facebook page? Oh, uh, Facebook.com slash keep Tucson together. All one word. Okay. Thank you so much. And thank you for tuning in, Queens and Kings. I'm Marcella Thomas. And what better way to keep it real than with real topics? Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast to hear more real conversations. Um, follow us and turn on your notifications to be notified every time a new episode is uploaded. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, wherever you get your podcasts. New podcasts are every Friday at 5 p.m. Central. So please stay tuned for more episodes and share it with a friend so that they, too, can journey along with us while we continue to dive deep and explore real topics about the world, people and conversations surrounding us. Remember to email us what you thought about today's episode or just any suggestions you might have for the podcast at realtopicscommunity at gmail.com and follow us on instagram again it is at the real topics podcast you all have a beautiful day and as i always say the most important thing to remember at the end of every day is always remember to give love peace